As we're waiting for the two-minute warning to expire, uh, we can go to John 21. And specifically, we're going to be looking at the conversation that Jesus had with Peter. And we have several visitors in the audience, so let me just take a few minutes to sort of talk with you. And this is also for the benefit of us regulars about what Bill and I have really focused on this quarter as we sort of bring this lesson or the series of lessons to a close. We've looked at various conversations that Jesus has had with uh, various people, uh, whether they be a crowd, whether they be a one-on-one -on -one conversation, or what have you. But the focus of the, the, the study has really been looking to see how Jesus has interacted with people in various situations and to see, can we learn anything about how Jesus interacted with those people to say, well, how should we interact in a similar situation, especially in situations uh, where we might be evangelizing others? You know, how do we respond to certain questions? How do we uh, teach people uh, in various situations with various backgrounds? And so, uh, where's my slide? Well, hey, David, there's a slide that's missing. There should be, it should be one with the chart on it, slide two. Do you see that? Is it? Well, we can just skip it then. Okay, we'll skip. Uh, so anyway, uh, just think back about the various people that we've encountered, Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, the uh, crowds, the Pharisees, uh, the, uh, the demonic, the man possessed by a demon. We, we look at or we see various situations, how Jesus interacted, and we can learn how did he respond? How did the people respond? We've talked a lot about different situations. Today we're going to look at Peter. We're going to draw our lesson to a close and look at Peter, specifically in John 21, because with Peter, it's an interesting conversation. And I want to go back and I want to focus on what Peter, hopefully, oh good, at least I've got this piece. I want to focus some historical components of, of Peter because I think all of this has a bearing on how Jesus interacts with Peter post-resurrection in this situation uh, near the Sea of Galilee. So if you think about, let's go all the way back to toward the beginning, uh, Matthew 16, 16. Jesus is asking his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter is the one who responds and just says, you know, raising the hand, I'm going to answer. You're Jesus, the Son of God. You're the Christ. Fully confident, as he should be. When you get to Matthew 16, just further on down, where Jesus predicts his suffering, his death, his resurrection, what does, G uh, what does Peter say? Oh, no, no, no. This isn't going to happen to you. I'm not going to let it happen. Then 
in Matthew 17, we see Peter, uh, James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. And we see that Peter actually sees the transformation of, of Jesus. To even give more evidence to Peter who he is. In John 13... In the upper room, as part of the, uh, you know, after the Passover is observed, Jesus uh, seeks to set an example of how we ought to serve one another. And Jesus begins to wash the disciples' feet. What does Peter say? Oh, no, no, no. You're not going to wash my feet. Uh, no, no. I'll wash your feet, but I'm not going to wash, you're not going to wash my feet. Then after Jesus insists, Peter relents and and allows it. But I'm just trying to show you, give you an attitude that is very characteristic of Peter. In fact, just further on down in John 13, as Peter, excuse me, as Jesus says, you know, my time is coming, I'm going to be leaving you. Peter wants to know where he's going, I want to go with you. Notice in verse 37 of John 13, uh, that Peter says, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And then what does uh, Jesus say? Before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And so just, and then just a, a few hours later, Peter in the garden, what does he do to Malchus? He's still ready to defend Chops the ear off of Malchus. Then when the uh, temperature goes up around Peter, then what does Peter do? He denies him, just as uh, Jesus says. And I I can't help but also think about when in Luke 22, and I'm going to go there for just a minute because I think it's, um, probably climactic in, in Peter's life. In, in Luke 22, Peter denies him series of denial, <clears throat> series of denials in verse 61 of Luke 22. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said how he told him before a cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And, and I guess, if you're Peter, how would you feel? And so, he leaves, and he's really absent from the crucifixion. Appears to be absent. Uh, and when you look at passages like, you know, the scattering of, of the sheep, when you look at the fact that John is present at the crucifixion, but there's no account of others. Peter's gone and doesn't really reappear until the resurrection, until he goes to the tomb, until uh, P- uh, Jesus appears to him individually as referred to in Luke 24 uh, in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, he's obviously with the disciples without Thomas in, in that appearance, and then eight days later when he appears and Thomas is there, Peter's there. So, all of this is happening 
with Peter. He's very bold, very um, self-assured, very confident. Uh, might even say he's a little on the arrogant side about his faithfulness. And then he falls. And then we see a different Peter here in John 21. And so that's why I spent so much time focused on Peter because I think it has bearing to what the study is today. And how does Jesus interact? How does he respond to Peter in John 21? So let's go to John 21 if you're not there. I need to get back there because I was in Luke 22. Um, in John 21, they are, there are seven disciples now who are by the Sea of Galilee. Peter is one of them. They are out fishing. They haven't caught anything all night. And so uh, in the morning, appears to be morning, uh, there is a man on the seashore tells, gives him instructions as to what to do to catch the fish. And there's a whole load of fish that are caught. And they realize who he is. It's, it's Jesus. And so these seven disciples and Jesus eat breakfast. And so it's after breakfast here along the seashore that this conversation happens between Peter and Jesus. So let's pick up in verse 15, and we'll read through verse 22. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one also who had leaned back on his breast at the supper. And he said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter therefore said to, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So, <clears throat> number one, and we'll talk more in depth about some lessons learned toward the end. But if you had one of your closest and best friends betray you, how would you feel? Because that's really, in essence, what Peter did, did he not? When you think about Judas, Judas actually betrayed him, you know, Jesus, you know, for money. But didn't Peter 
also betray Jesus? When you, when you really get to the heart of the matter, didn't he do the same thing? So one of your closest, dearest friends has betrayed you. That would cut like a knife, right? But what's Jesus' uh, temperament? How does Jesus interact with Peter? Is he uh, out to get Peter? <laughs> Is he out to seek harm? He's kind, he's compassionate, he's loving. And that's an example for us as we look at this conversation how Jesus is responding to this person who weeks ago had betrayed him in his darkest hour. So let's look at each of the questions, this conversation. Let's sort of dissect it. And, you know, you can look at from a context perspective, just a textual perspective, a lot of different lessons here. Uh, so. I don't want to get down too far into the nitty-gritty, but I do want to make some applications that I think may help us in how we interact with those who may have, you know, done us wrong based upon the title of today's lesson. So, in question, the first question that, that Jesus asks Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, I'm just going to say this, is that there are discussions about who the these are. Um, and I'll give you two perspectives. One of them is that these would refer back to the disciples that are there. Okay. Uh, and so uh, uh, that, that's one possibility. The other possibility is that these refers back to uh, the, the fish, the things that are more temporal in nature. Uh, when you go back to verse 13, you know, Jesus came and took the bread and gave them and the fish likewise. So it would be, uh, so if that's the case, Jesus is saying, do you love me more than the things of the earth? Okay, so those are two possibilities, but in, in, as I look at it, regardless of which these you take, which interpretation, you really get back to the same conclusion, and that is, do you love me supremely? Do you love me more than anything else? Okay, so it doesn't really matter what the these is because they really both come back to the same. And so I couldn't help but think about Matthew 10, verse 37. Through 40. And and as I we go and look at this, again, I wanted you to keep this conversation in context of the denial that Peter had, that Peter uh, made with with regard to Jesus just weeks before. And so here, 
Jesus is saying in verse 37, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. And I'll just go ahead and um, stop there. But the question is, do you love me more than anything else? Because Peter had denied Jesus just weeks before. So, Peter, do you love me more than anything else? And the reply is, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, in your, in your Bible, there may be a footnote that distinguishes between the two words of love. So here, Jesus is asking, do you agapio me? And I'm probably slaughtering the Greek. But then, what is Jesus, uh, Peter's response? I phileo you. I greatly admire and love you from a, uh, uh, a friend perspective. And I couldn't help but think that is his response sort of this changed perspective of Peter. Because the, of Peter before, what would he have done? Absolutely, Jesus, I do. I love you. And I am going to, I am willing to die for you. He's a little bit more reserved, is he not? Because he has a different perspective. And Jesus understands that Peter is already suffering this internal guilt that he has because of his denial. And so Peter is saying, I phileo you because of that more humble, less arrogant perspective that he, ha that he now has. And so Jesus then says, then tend my, uh, tend my sheep. So a part of Jesus' encouragement to Peter, a sign of his Forgiveness, I guess, for uh, I guess a lack of a better uh, phrase to use. Jesus is entrusting Peter to tend the sheep, tend his sheep. So um, then, let's go on to. I'll make a couple of other observations in, in just a minute, but I want to go to number two, the second question and that is the second question is Simon son of John do you love me notice anything different about the question that's exactly right Jesus now doesn't drop he drops the more than these Peter has attested the fact that yes I phileo you and so Jesus drops the more than these. It's a simple question of Peter's affirmation for Jesus. And what does Peter say? He repeats his guarded reply, what I call a very guarded reply. 
and says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And so he then, Jesus, then says, shepherd my sheep. Now, you find it interesting that the first time, what does Jesus say? What was the instruction? Tend my lambs. The next one is, shepherd my sheep. Slightly different instructions. Because when you think of the tending, it is more the, and I think, and I, I did not do this, but I'm going by memory. I think in some versions, verse 15 is feed. Is that right? Am, am I remembering right? I'm, I'm getting a few shaking heads. Feed my lambs. Uh, and so this idea that in, in the New American, it's tend, it's this idea of nourishing, of feeding the, the, the flock, the sheep, the lamb, versus the, uh, in verse 16, the shepherding, which is more of the protecting aspect of the, that uh, I guess of that word or um, of uh, what Jesus is asking him to asking him to do. So one is the idea of nourishment, teaching, the other is the idea of protection. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. So you see then that slightly different question, response is the same, but then the instruction that Jesus gives is slightly different. You know, I'm not sure why it's not disclosed. Uh, why in verse 15 is lambs versus sheep in the next verse. Uh, but it could be something that, that uh, Jesus is communicating. I'm not sure. Uh, I guess I'm not going to go down the road of agricultural or... Uh, it's not agricultural. It's... Cattle, not cattle, but feed, sheep, flock. You know, I'm not a, a farmer. So what can you say? I'm a banker. One of those terrible people. So, but, but there is some significance to the tending and the uh, shepherding that Jesus is telling him to do. Like I said, we'll come back in just a minute. So number three, the third question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Okay. <laughs> well, you know, if I were being asked three times the same question, I'd probably get a little irritated. But notice Peter's, well, let me dissect the, the question that Jesus is asking. In 15 and 16, Jesus was asking the agapio, do you agapio me? In verse 17, Jesus is now asking, do you phileo me? So he's now using the same word that Peter used in his responses. So, do you love me as a friend is the question number three. And the word is, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Now this idea of grieving, and again, I'm not a Greek scholar, 
But based on what I read, there's this idea of Peter was made sorrowful. And I couldn't help but connect it back to this feeling that Peter has to have, be having in this conversation that is happening just between him, the two of them, along the, the beach, along the Sea of Galilee, that Peter is, keep, keeps recalling the, the denial. And so, you know, Peter denied him three times, and Jesus is asking him this third time, Simon, do you love me? And this time it's the phileo love. And I can't help but just think that Peter is made sorrowful to this point of his continued denials back before the crucifixion. And so here, Jesus, uh, Peter comes back and says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And so Peter is made sorrowful. Peter acknowledges to Jesus, you know my heart. You know the sorrow that I have. You know that I love you. I phileo you. And so Jesus then comes back and says, tend my sheep. And so he then, in verse 18, then describes the suffering that Peter is going to endure for the sake of Christ. And, and you know, I, I couldn't help but think that the earlier Peter talked about suffering and willing to die and willing to, you know, give himself for Jesus, but when the heat was turned up, he sort of flunked the test. But now, this new perspective that Peter has, what's he willing to do and what's he, what's he going to wind up doing? He's going to wind up giving himself for the cause of Christ. And so, then Jesus concludes this part of the conversation with, in verse 19, follow me. And so, uh, you know, we have this touching uh, conversation that Jesus and Peter have along the beach. And what I want to do now is think about what are some lessons that we can learn as a result of this conversation that Peter and, and, and Jesus have. One, I couldn't help but think this is an example of just the magnitude of the forgiveness that Jesus has uh, and what our magnitude of our own forgiveness of others who may have done us wrong should be. When you think about uh, uh, Matthew 18, so go to Matthew 18, verse 21 through 35, and we don't have time to dissect this passage, but when you think about this dialogue and how Jesus is interacting with Peter, and Jesus doesn't say anything negative 
or doesn't hold any kind of grudge or anything else, but this conversation that, that Jesus is having is obviously getting to Peter. I couldn't help but think about this passage in Matthew 18. And the, the point of this passage, uh, these instructions about forgiveness, and I also find it interesting, before I go too far, that who's the, who's the apostle that asked this question? In verse 18, then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. I couldn't help but just find that a little bit ironic. Um, that it's Peter who asked the question. But what is the point? What was Jesus' instruction? What was his response? His response is, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And when you go on and you read the rest of the passage, you see what, you, you, you just, you think, okay, I'm looking at myself and what has God done for me? He's forgiven me a, a debt that I could never have repaid on my own. And so then, what should our attitude be toward our brother? It should be one that we forgive um, that, uh, that, that wrong, uh, regardless of how often that occurs. You know, think about the fact that we go through our lives day in and day out. We sin. How many times do we sin? Just once? And so God just forgives us once? It's a daily occurrence. And Jesus continues to forgive. God for continues to forgive over and over again. And so I find that interesting here when you think of how Jesus interacts here with Peter. And then I thought of Ephesians, the fourth chapter. So turn with me to Ephesians 4. <clears throat> and in verse 31, Paul instructs the Ephesians, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And, I, you, know, you know, you see things that you probably have seen, but you just didn't realize you've seen. And, and so when I was looking at this for this lesson, I thought, you know, you've got to get rid of the things in verse 31 before you can even begin to do the things in verse 32. Um, and, and so we've got to get rid of the bitterness, the wrath, the anger, the clamor, and the slander before we can even begin to think about being kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. And so we look at Jesus here. Jesus had nothing in verse 31. I mean, he's the son of God. But he had nothing in verse 31. But in verse 32, we see that come alive when we look at that discussion with Peter. Um, and similar passage in Colossians. Uh, I won't take the time to read that for, for time's sake. But the love of Christ then also demands, requires action. Because when you think of the, 
the passages here, going back to John 21, and Jesus, you know, says, Peter, do you, do, or Simon, do you love me? There was instructions based upon that affirmation of love. And so I got to thinking, you know, if we have the love that we ought to have for God, for Jesus, for our fellow man, our fellow brother, then that requires action. Love is active. It's an active verb. It's not a passive verb. And so then I got to thinking, what's he saying here? What are the instructions, not just to Peter, but what are the, the, the instructions to us in 2020, soon to be 2021? Well, feeding. Let's look at it. There are four that I see here. One is feeding, going back to this idea of nourishment. And think about the fact that God has given us the word, and that goes back to John 16, 13. He hasn't given us partial truth, but he's given us all truth. He's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. We can look to this, this, you know, this or this, depending upon where your Bible is, every day to find the instructions on how we ought to live and what we ought to be teaching each other to feed us, to nourish us. You know, there's a lot of uh, uh, self-help books out there that are intended to help us. Sometimes I think the help is more hurt. What should we be looking to for guidance? should be the word. It shouldn't be some self-help book that we get in the library or off the shelf or Amazon. So we look at this idea of nourishment that God has given us this word. He's given us gifts. And that was Ephesians, going back to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, that, you know, we have evangelists, we have teachers, we have elders, we have the word. All of this is to help us, uh, equip us to be unified in the knowledge of, of Jesus of his word, and that is a great amount of nourishment that can help us far beyond anything that we might pick off a shelf. It also contains God's wisdom, and that's what I referenced, why I referenced 1 Corinthians 1. The word is God's wisdom. It's the power of God into salvation. So we look to that. That's how we feed ourselves. That's how we feed each other. The second observation or lesson I, I guess I thought of was shepherding. And, you know, we, we, some, we somehow think, or t and, and rightfully so, you know, we, when we think of shepherding, we think of elder, the eldership and how they are to guide us, protect us. But there's an aspect of shepherding. And we've talked about that to some degree in our various earlier lessons, that we have a responsibility to protect each other, to look after each other. Galatians 6.1, for example, uh, ye who are spiritual, restore such a one. 
uh, in a spirit of gentleness and meekness. Second uh, Timothy four two. We looked at uh, probably two or two to three weeks ago. I can't remember. You know this idea of rebu- rebuking, exhorting, uh, admonishing isn't just for a preacher to the congregation. It's not just instructions to Timothy. Instructions for us that we ought to 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 do to teach. Uh, to help us and protect us and to shepherd each other uh, in our walk of life. But sacrifice. You know, that's the other idea, the other concept that I sort of walked away with when I was reading this passage because once Jesus makes it clear, you need to tend my sheep, you need to feed my sheep, you need to shepherd my sheep, He goes and foretells of what Peter's going to go through as a result of the work that he's going to do. It's sacrificial. We ought to be willing to sacrifice ourselves for Christ. Isn't isn't that part of what Paul tells the Romans in Romans 6? When you're baptized into Christ, you're crucifying the old self, right? You're, raised, you're being raised up to walk in newness of life? I mean, Jesus died. He gave himself. He sacrificed himself for us. Isn't that part of, isn't that baptism? You're killing the old self. You're doing away with your own pleasures. And you're seeking what Christ wants you to, to do. So love demands action. Love of Christ requires the action. It requires sacrifice. It requires uh, sacrificing our desires for God, it's sacrificing our desires for our brother if we need to, if that so demands. And so, you know, I've, I've put up some passages, you know, for, for reference. Romans 6, Colossians 3, 1 John 3. All ideas of being sacrificial in our way of life toward Jesus, uh, toward our brother, toward our fellow man. We give up our, ourselves. We give up our time uh, for each other. And then I couldn't help but think about the last bullet, and that is forgiving. Love requires us to forgive. Go, to, go with me to 1 Corinthians 13. And I wrote down just 1 Corinthians 13, 5, but I want to go ahead and and just read verses 4 through uh, 7 because it encapsulates Jesus' response to Peter post-resurrection here in this conversation that we've been looking at in John 21. Beginning in verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And so we see... Jesus' love to Peter, his forgiveness, we see Peter's love for Jesus in that 
When you look at Peter from here on out, he's a changed person. And so we see Peter's love for Jesus, his sacrifice for, for, for the, the cause of Christ. And so I, I do want to just close with one last comment. I think I've got a couple more minutes. Because in John 21, you know, we go back, uh, and, and so we, we, in verse 20, Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. So you get the idea they're along the shore. Jesus and Peter are walking, and Peter sort of glances back, notices the disciple whom Jesus loved. We know that to be Okay, so John's behind him, and Peter says, what's going to happen to him? And you know, I love Jesus' response. If I want him to remain until I come, (laughs) what is that to you? You know, what are you supposed to be focusing on? Be focused on follow me. Follow me. That's what you're to be focused on. You know, don't worry about this other person. You know, um, you know sort of the phrase at work is you, you focus on the things you can control. You try to influence the, the things, your centers of influence, where you have influence. You may not have direct control, but you have some influence. You want to try to influence that. But don't, don't worry about somebody else's cheese. That's really what he's saying here. Your focus is on following me. That's what you need to be focused on. And by doing that, if you follow me, you're going to be feeding, you're going to be shepherding, you're going to be sacrificing, you're going to be forgiving. And so I just conclude the the lesson, the series, with this idea of how loving Jesus is going to give us, is going to force us to do this And these things all translate back to or all really address everything that we've talked about over the past, I guess, 12 weeks in this series of how we interact with people, how we discuss Jesus with other people and be successful, uh, how we interact with each other as a congregation, with other brethren in other parts of the, the world or just people out in the community. So... Leave that. I talked a lot. Any comments, thoughts, observations? Okay. Well. Oh, David, thank you so much. I even put it on my my notes, and I still failed to do that. Um, okay. So next week we start a series of classes on Second Corinthians. David is nodding his head, and so there are outlines. On, in the, on the AB booth, whatever, in the little rack. Uh, but if we run out, don't worry about it. David's going to email uh, that outline to everybody, too. So, uh, so we'll start. be ready to start a series of lessons on 2 Corinthians next Sunday, which would be January the 4th, believe it or not. Okay, thank you.